0: Work is no longer just about productivity and metrics. It's about people. And when we focus on positivity, communication, belonging, and development, the numbers take care of themselves. This is Work Human Radio, where we talk to authors, researchers, and business leaders about the latest trends making work more human around the world.
1: Welcome back to Work Human Radio. I am your host, Todd Schneck, joined by my friend and colleague, Mike Wood. Mike, we both had the pleasure of stepping in and listening to our next guest deliver his keynote this morning. Loads of wisdom and knowledge. It's going to be a great conversation. I'm very much looking forward to it.
2: Yes, welcome, Gary Hamill. Welcome back to Work Human Radio. We are thrilled to have you. My pleasure. This is your second Work Human. That's true. <laughs> and the uh, second was better than the first. So, oh, good. Uh, so, I'm a huge fanboy when it comes to the stuff (laughs) that you're talking about because bureaucracy drives me insane. But what I wanted to start on is can we talk a little bit about shared purpose and what we can do as organizations to help each other?
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a good place to start. I think we tend to think of organizations as simply these machines that turn out services and products and hopefully something for the shareholders. But that's not really the reason people should show up every day. You know, you have to believe that you are doing something that increases the quantum of human happiness in the world and that you have a purpose that goes beyond profit. And I think the power of that is that kind of aspiration unleashes a huge amount of creative energy. It tends to bring people together where the organization might divide them into silos or layers and so on. But I think very few organizations really do have a compelling purpose. There's always some language somewhere on some <laughs> laminated card. But if you really ask people, you're like, what problem are you solving in the world? You know, What gets you up in the day? I think most organizations have a positive purpose for sure.
1: How do we We've been talking about that for a long time, though. I mean, everyone understands it. You're right. We all put motivational posters over the front desk and think, all right, check. We've handled the purpose thing. But it's so much more. It's an ongoing effort, isn't it? I mean, this is something you have to continually be mindful about and adjust and tweak as you go along, yes? Yeah, and you have to remind yourself of your purpose every day as well. As you said, I've been a, a business school
0: professor for a long time. And, you know, it's easy sitting inside of a business school to think that your job is turning out degrees or, you know, training people to go off and work for Goldman Sachs or McKinsey or something. And you have to step back, at least this is my way of thinking about it, is I think of management and I'm teaching people how to mobilize and organize human beings to get things done. For me, that's what management is. It's just the way we bring resources together to accomplish purpose. And so when I think of my work, I don't think of it about training students or just delivering courses. I think about how do we improve the technology of human accomplishment? Because what we can do as a species is largely dependent on our ability to bring people together, whether that's a church bake whether it's you know launching a mission to Mars. And so, yes, you hope your organization has this higher purpose, but you also have to kind of find it for yourself. So whatever the London Business School's purpose is, that's their purpose. My purpose is how do I show up every day with those students or whether with executives, whoever I'm talking to, and how do I have this responsibility for making life better for people who are at work? So that's kind of an individual responsibility as much as an organizational responsibility. Talk to us about
1: There's a phrase you hear at the future of work. What does Gary think the future of work is? How is that going to look next five, 10, 15 years? You know, it's interesting. I've
0: heard that phrase for a long time. I have friends who've written books with that title, The Future of Work. And yet, I think for most people, work hasn't changed that much over the last decade or two. We have a few shiny new tools. It's a little bit easier to get a meeting to happen online or to share documents and so on, or even to give each other feedback. But if you ask people, do you feel like you have substantially more autonomy in your role than you did five or six years ago? Do you feel that you have the chance to have more impact in the lives of your customers? Do you feel that your creative skills are better used? I think the answer is mostly no. So we keep talking about the future of work, but from where I sit, we're largely stalled. And the things that you hear a lot about, like the gig economy turned out to be actually quite peripheral, the gig economy is not going to be a big thing. It turns out that people are not changing careers that much faster than they used to. If anything, over the last few years, longevity in the job has gone up. So people hang on, they do the job, but has it gotten fundamentally better? It's
2: hard for me to find that evidence. And I think one of the ways we can try to make it better and what you've been trying to do is just educate management to allow your employees a way, like a freedom to think. And that it's tough to say that you have to have a freedom to think, but bureaucracy just drives me insane. And so I wish we could take the chains off of our employees and let them come up with ideas,
0: right? You know, there's, there's kind of a couple of challenges behind this. One is that because... So many business people are really kind of it's their left brain that dominates, they're very analytical and so on. And we have plenty of data today in our organizations. There's often something, the British talk about being penny wise and pound foolish. So we're looking to save a few cents, but we're missing the bigger opportunity. And I think that's often true with how we think about our employees. You know, we put them in a role, they're in a box somewhere, we're asking them to do that job and we can measure how effectively they do the job. What we're not measuring is, what is the value of the lost creativity, the lost initiative? And you only see this when you look at some organizations where that's actually unleashed. One of the organizations I've been following for some time now is New Core Steel. That's a very traditional industry of the sort that, you know, you think has kind of largely disappeared in the United States. And yet you have this steel company with 90 plants across the United States that is one of the most profitable steel companies in the world. And you have ordinary, we'd call blue collar employees, they certainly don't see themselves that way, that are every day experimenting with new ways of making steel. They're having conversations with their customers. They're innovating like crazy. And you see that going on and you see the power of what happens when you give people that chance, there's extraordinary economic value in that. But often we don't, you know, we don't see it because we're so focused on the short term, or so focused on what we can measure, we
1: don't see all the value in what we can't measure. Well, Mike brought up bureaucracy, and as he said frustratingly before we went to the air, it's a shame that after all these years that you've been talking about this, we're still having to talk about bureaucracy. I learned from your presentation this morning that a lot of that comes from this need for control. So, I'd love for you to talk about why we still feel like the top down management has to have all this control. And I heard you talk about this idea of humanocracy. So, talk about all that for us, please.
0: You know, I think, let me do something, a little mathematical thing for a moment, a little formula. I think that most leaders and organizations, if they think that control multiplied by freedom equals a constant. In other words, if one goes up, the other goes down. So, if I say to a CEO, we need to dramatically expand the autonomy of your people. What they instantly think about is if autonomy goes up, control goes down. And that means you know we can't deliver five nines or liability. We're not delivering on our numbers. We're not delivering exceptional. That's just the way they think, that these things are somehow counterposed or trade-offs. And I don't think that's true at all. Now, because obviously in every business, you need control. I need alignment and efficiency and focus. And there's regulatory things I have to worry about. So control is not the enemy. The question is, how do we get it? And if you go back into the kind of bureaucratic model, we get control by very tightly written rules for employees, a lot of oversight, very little discretionary time, very little discretionary money, and for sure you can get control in that environment, but you're giving up all those other potential things that people could bring to work today. So the question, I think this is at the heart, part of the heart of defeating bureaucracy is saying, listen, bureaucracy brought us a lot of great things. The control, the coordination it enables, these are great. Can we get that in another way? And so you have to separate out the what and the how. And if you think about it, That's part of innovation wherever you see it. If you think about newspapers, right, they hardly exist anymore as these artifacts of ink on paper. We don't get our news. The form has changed dramatically. The function is still there. Every day we're reading something, blogs and posts, and we're getting informed. Similarly, you say, okay, well, the what of control is important. We need control. How do we get it? Is there a different way? And it turns out you can get it with more transparency with peers. You can get it when employees feel an enormous responsibility for a shared goal. You can get it when you teach employees, give them business literacy, and you teach them how to manage their own jobs in smart ways. There's a lot of ways of getting control without this kind of stultifying blanket of rules and supervision. So it's largely just a create a way of stepping back and saying, is there another way of getting control? As a professor, I really don't report to the dean. i shouldn't probably be saying this with a microphone stuck next to my <laughs> mouth, but you know, I don't, and neither does anybody else. But I sure report to my students at the end of every term. They rate me and everybody can see those ratings. I report to my peers whenever I write an article. They're telling me whether they think it's worth publishing or not. So I have an enormous amount of accountability but almost zero formal bureaucracy or formal control. So I think getting people over that hump, getting rid of bureaucracy does not mean an organization in chaos. It does not mean that people, in fact, it's almost the opposite. The dilemma with bureaucracy and when we blanket people in rules, they go on autopilot. And they don't have to think anymore. They don't have to use their creativity. If something goes wrong, like that's how the boss asks me to do it. Why are you talking to me? And the opposite of that is not chaos. The opposite is real accountability where there's no place to hide, where you are making the real decisions about how to drive your business forward, and you're accountable for the results. That's what we want, and it's
2: possible. So if you organize an organization under shared values and bringing people together in terms of recognition – What are your thoughts on recognition and kind of that like whole shared values in helping release some of the bureaucracy?
0: Well, here's I think one of the great flaws of all traditional hierarchical organizations is that people compete for a scarce resource that's called promotion. And it is a zero-sum game. And that competition breeds all kinds of unhelpful behaviors of trying to elbow rivals out of the way, trying to dress up results, and so on. And so as soon as we start to change the organization where the currency of career success is no longer promotion and no longer one person's opinion of my work, a boss, but the colleagues, that has to be the right thing. And when I wrote The Future of Management some years ago, I look forward to a time, and I think Work human is part of bring this time to pass, when every single person or organization would have a leadership score, a peer-based leadership score that's completely independent of where they sit in the hierarchy. Because I can tell you the formal hierarchy is not a hierarchy of wisdom, of foresight, of creativity. It's a hierarchy of narrow administrative competence. Do we need administrators? Yeah. Are they the ones that really create value today? No. So I need another way of evaluating people. And more than just evaluating, I need a way of knowing whose voice matters in any particular decision. Looking forward, I think we're not going to have one hierarchy. We're going to have multiple hierarchies. And if it's marketing, somebody's going to be expert. If it's tech, somebody else is an expert. But the idea that you have one formal hierarchy and that your job is to satisfy one boss and polish their ego – that idea is absolutely toxic. It is out of date, and what Work human is doing is beginning to put a few little cracks
2: in that old model, I think, for, for all the right reasons. I mean, at the end of the day you 're accountable to your team, just like you 're accountable to your students it 's that group that you 're with. so if you just put it on that one person that 's not who you 're serving necessarily, because at least in my marketing department we 're all working together and, sure. if, and if I screw up and i 'm not working along with everybody else then that needs to be addressed. And I would build on that. I think
0: where your ultimate accountability lies is with your customers. Mm -hmm. So think about this. In most organizations, how many people there, what proportion of the employees in a medium or large scale organization don't report to any ultimate customer? They talk about internal customers. That's BS, (laughs) part of my language, (laughs) right? Because guess what? If you work in HR, finance, IT, your internal customers cannot fire you. So let's not pretend they're customers. And moreover, There's no part of your compensation. For most people in those functions, there's no part of their compensation that depends on the satisfaction of the customers they serve. What we've been trying to do in Hire, the Chinese appliance company that I give a little bit of advice to from time to time. So let's say you work in HR at Hire. Every operating unit, and there are thousands of them in Hire, they can buy HR services internally or externally. It's up to them. There's no internal Mm. monopolies because the moment you have a monopoly, right? We remember that. The telephone system used to be a monopoly, right? Why should (laughs) HR be a monopoly? So you can buy those services internally or externally. If you buy them internally, you'll write a contract with that HR group that's helping you hire or helping you train or whatever you've asked them to do. You write a contract with them. And a substantial part of that contract is a bonus that depends on the success, your success in the ultimate marketplace. So let's say I'm running a little business that's designing three-door refrigerators and I need some HR help. I need to acquire some new skills. I'll write a contract. There's a bonus in there that how you get paid depends on how my refrigerators do in the marketplace. And so the CEO and chairman, Zhang Rumin, with only a little bit of exaggeration, he said today we are no longer paying our employees. Customers pay our employees. I believe every single employee in a large organization should have a substantial amount of their compensation at risk for how they do with either internal or better yet, external customers. Because otherwise, every other currency is kind of a virtual currency. The real currency that matters is when somebody writes you a check, gives you their credit card, pays you. And yet the majority of people in most organizations, they are not at risk personally, in terms of the work they do for that customer.
1: That has to change. Yeah, that's game-changing. be thinking about that for a bit. Let's close on one final discussion. I suppose you could frame it as a discussion around innovation. You could frame it as a discussion around working human. But you shared a quote this morning from Bezos. He said, uh, the reason Amazon is what Amazon is is because it's the best place to fail. And I feel like management still does a really lousy job across the board of not building a culture or empowering a team to try things and fail and try again and learn and grow. Talk about what that quote means and just more about that topic. And Because we're humans. We mess up. We make mistakes. We try things and we don't do it. It's who we are. Just as human as we get. Talk about that more.
0: Well, and I would say what makes us human about as much as anything else is that as human beings, we create right that's how we're different from any other species and in some part of your life right now maybe you write a blog maybe you're working on your digital photos maybe you're redesigning a garden whatever you i mean everybody can point to some creative outlet or almost everyone they have in their life but when you come to work suddenly that opportunity doesn't exist and i find it crazy you know because we know from our research that 79% of CEOs around the world will tell you that innovations critical for their company. They understand that it's the only insurance against irrelevance. It's the only long-term guarantee of customer loyalty. They get it. And yet I ask them a few simple questions. like Gary, we're really serious about innovation. I said, okay, let's ask three questions. First, how many of your people have you trained to think like business innovators? Have you taught them how to get those deep emerging needs? Have you taught them how to track new technologies and understand the implications? <laughs> have you talked to them about how do they challenge the dogma that builds up? I mean, have you taught them how to think like, no, we haven't done that. Second question, how easy is it for them to get 50% of their time a few thousand dollars to try something new? How many layers of bureaucracy? How many layers of approval? How long? Is there anything internal like Kickstarter that's like peer-based and just put it up there and see if anybody will buy? No, we don't have anything like that. And the last question I ask is, Is it clear to employees that every single manager, every leader has innovation metrics and they're accountable for them? Number of ideas created on my team, number of things we try every year, number of experiments we run and so on. But is it clear that you are holding people accountable for innovation? No, we don't do that. I say, it's okay. Let me understand. You haven't trained people. You don't make it easy and you don't hold them accountable. And you told me like five minutes ago, you were serious about this. So let's back up. Let's talk about how you use the word serious, right? Because apparently it has a different (laughs) meaning in your vernacular than it does in mine. So yeah, I mean, and again, none of this is rocket science. And what Amazon does is not rocket science. Now, in some businesses, it's easier to run experiments than others. But let me go back to Nucor. Somebody at Nucor spent a year trying to find a new lining material that would go inside of these huge cauldrons that hold molten metal because those cauldrons are heavy, the joints wear out, that means more capital costs, and the guy just was obsessed with there's some lighter material, something that will take more loads before it degenerates. And the guy just spent a year reading everything he could find, going everywhere, trying new materials in a little lab-like setting. I mean, that is what drives a business forward. As I said, there's no shortage of interesting problems to solve. It's just we haven't really asked our
2: people. We haven't turned them on to that opportunity. So one of the things that we do at WorkHuman is... Twice a year, we have a work human innovation competition, and anybody in the organization can submit an idea for how to improve the product. And we submit, everything goes to a board, they pick 10 ideas, then you go up in front of the CEO, just kind of like Shark Tank. And then if you're picked, you get some money and they get the product and it's really helped. We've had some great ideas come through that. And I love as an employee being able to help direct a part of the company that like, I'm not in product. But I can create a product in it. So I just, I love that we've been able to You do know, and that. that's where we have to go.
0: Not only with product, but for strategy, every major decision has to be, you have to bring the wisdom of the crowd to bear there. And the new products now that Hire creates, they are born- in the wild, online, in crowd-creating platforms where they'll have hundreds of thousands of people following these products from the moment their idea, their adjournment of an idea, and providing enormous amount of feedback, and then buying the prototypes Kickstarter-like before they even reach the market. I mean, that's co-creation is at the core of it today. And of course, the technology is there to do it. The dilemma is, if the final approval still rests with a few people at top you're taking this very open approach and still then trying to run it through a very few closed minds. So I think the thing has to be open probably from top to bottom. And the role of a leader today is not to be that final arbiter, not to be the decision maker in chief, But to really be that social architect who thinks through, how do we build a great collaborative system that gets the best ideas out? How do we build in the safeguards and the checkpoints? How do we make sure we're managing the risk appropriately? But, like, I got to give up on the idea that I have, like, some special crystal ball on the future because
1: I don't. Well, you also said this morning that the best ideas often come from the people closest to the problem.
0: Closest to the problem and from very unexpected sources. You guys may know of a crowdsourcing platform called InnoCentive where you can bid out really complicated technology platforms. several hundred thousand solvers around the world, and companies like Procter & Gamble, IBM. So somebody did a very interesting study. They looked at 166 problems that had been bid out to this network of solvers, and it had involved 12,000 scientists making submissions. And they found that in three quarters of the cases that were successfully solved, the solution came from somebody outside of that area of expertise in another domain and they brought a whole fresh way of thinking to that problem. And so, in most organizations after a while, it's kind of an echo chamber. You have the same people talking to the same people about the same issues and finishing each other's sentences and they all, you know, have been in the company for 10 years and they all go to the same conferences, read the same trade rags and the gene pool is a stagnant pond, right? <laughs> so, yeah. Yep. Open by default has to be the setting
1: today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mike, it's criminal that we only got Gary for 22 yeah. minutes. So what a shame. But we are out of time. Gary, should anyone need to connect with you, learn more about you, your work, and certainly your thought leadership out there, where do they go?
0: Easiest thing is Gary at Garyhamill.com. And if you go to LinkedIn and look at their learning page, you can even find some e-learning stuff that's free course right. on how to bust bureaucracy available to anybody but gary at garyhamill.com
1: outstanding gary hamill professor at the london business school sir a real honor to have you on the show again todd thanks for Mike, stu- it's a pleasure
0: if you want to see business leaders culture keepers and industry experts come together to share the latest research and ideas for making work more human you need to be at work human march 18th through the 21st in nashville Visit WorkHuman.com to see the full lineup of speakers and reserve your spot in the number one conference of 2019.